Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. William Faulkner said, kill your darlings. And he meant that specifically as a piece of advice for writers. He talked about how we must do that for the sake of the story. I love this advice for all creatives, not just for writers. And it can be so valuable as a way to consider life and love and surrender and so many other things. Recently, I found out if you chop off the first blooms of zinnias, then the plant offers you twice as many in return, more lush and fuller than when you first started. Well, I had just potted some, bright pink and perfect, when I found this out from a wise and true source, and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. She called it tough love. And tough love is always important love. And it's always hard. And it's usually in the context of survival somehow or saving someone. And those zinnias are actually what sparked this episode. They were certainly darlings. And even with the almost guarantee of a fuller outcome, I couldn't do it. This morning... I went out and I watered them and they looked so scraggly and not not good. They weren't very full and bright like they used to be, sort of beaten down and oversunned and maybe a little bit mad at me because I didn't trust them and I didn't trust the process. My sister-in-law, Christy, she made a documentary film about the case Youth v. Gov where the kids are suing the U.S. government for their role in concealing the devastating effects of climate change and for directly blocking solutions that would make our planet safe and sustainable for generations to come. So her movie is about the court case and about presenting evidence to support the claims of these 21 youth plaintiffs. But the movie's also about the courage and the stories in the homes of these specific young people and how they individually and collectively have become a catalyst for change. And she only had 90 minutes for the movie. And she told me that she had hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. And as you can imagine, it was all very rich and personal, tug-at-your-heart kind of footage that would make the story and the case come alive. Talk about cutting off zinnia blooms. (laughs) There were 21 possible movies, if not more, within her raw footage. Because she could have made a movie about each one of these kids. But if she didn't bravely cut off the throat of some of those stories, 
the story she ended up telling would have never been uncovered. And this too is where I think we need good editors and people to help us. I know she had some really good people on her team because it's easier for other people to kill our darlings than it is for us. People we trust to take an ax to even our favorite things for the sake of potency and for the sake of preservation. And so that we get to do the essential thing that we want to do. We get to tell the essential thing that we want to tell. Because we get so emotionally wrapped up in the things that we love and consider important. I see this in writers and dancers and musicians and painters and builders and all types of visionaries. We tend to get hung up on something that may even be really good or something that we've been praised for and that has worked. And we attach ourselves to it like an identity. And when we do that, sometimes it can stunt our creative growth and our perspective because after a while, we can't see anything else as a possibility. I've seen this a lot when a dancer gets very comfortable or gets praise or recognition for a piece of choreography or for a certain way of executing movement. And then what happens is you start to see them create the same dance over and over again, but just with a different title or a different costume. Because their darling or their favorite movement vocabulary or choreography gets stuck in a way in the creative pipes. And then they can't let go of that in order to crash into something new. But it's tricky Because on the other hand, it feels good to have a mark, to have a recognizable piece of yourself and everything that you offer to the world. There's a relief in being recognized and seen like, like, oh, yeah, that's obviously a Monet or that's clearly Cunningham's work. I would recognize it anywhere. And that's affirming and exhilarating as a creative, but it's this delicate dance because I believe that the greats among us, they did learn to kill and cut off the first blooms for the sake of moving the art to, to a greater height, for moving the story to the next thing. And the why to that is because we get so emotionally attached to, to our darlings that we can't even tell the rest of the story. We can't see past our own attachments to widen the lens, and it so often keeps us creatively stuck in the mud. Have you ever have you ever been to somebody's house and it has a lot of knickknacks, like so many little figurine darlings? I have an allergy <laughs> to this kind of clutter personally, but I do understand some people's want for that because I think it's not usually about stuff. It's about collecting memories and stories. But even if you have a story for each little one, at a certain point, the sheer amount of your knickknacks begins to water down their creative value, even to the point that you can't see them anymore. My 
brother's best friend Clay gave Benjamin's eulogy at his funeral. And Clay, like all of us at that time, was completely in shock and devastated. And I wasn't sure he was going to be composed enough to get through it. What he came up with was remarkable, and it was so incredibly memorable. And though I'm not sure that he thought of it this way, I know that he must have had to cut off some of his favorite blooms in order to do it. He didn't tell a lot of growing up stories about Benjamin. He didn't carry on much about private jokes or things that were funny to the two of them, and he didn't give a full scope by any means. He chose one thing, and he chose to keep referring to Benjamin as the great appreciator. And how Benjamin was a collector of genius and wisdom. And in some, some ways he was like a talent scout. And somebody who celebrated other people's truxel and their quirks and their unique way of showing up. And every story Clay told pointed back to that. It was like a perfect pole in the middle of the eulogy. And he carefully wound these threads around it. And after the service, I can't tell you how many people came up to us and said, I didn't really know Benjamin, but Clay made me feel like I did. He brought him to life. And I've known all these years that what Clay did that day for all of us was extraordinary. But I think it wasn't until recently that I was clear on why. It was because of what he left out that made what he left in so potent and powerful, the darlings that he killed in order to build it. And that's what a creative has to do with every draft of the process. They have to cut and slice away and bury things they love in order for the richest thing to get pulled to the surface. Because when we do, we have a better perspective on the whole And if our heads are in the ground, so wrapped up in our beloved knickknacks, then we can't see the whole house and how it looks. We lose sight. Another thing that happens when an artist has done this well, when they've killed off their darlings in order to let the art take its own shape, is there is then often room for the imagination of the viewer. So if the art, whatever genre it is, is so clogged with the emotional baggage of the artist, there may be no room left for the viewer to see themselves. And I do believe that art is most powerful when we can see it as a place that we can inhabit, not just a world for the artists themselves. And that's why, one of the reasons why killing your darlings is so hard Because it's part of the recognition that if you're going to put something out into the world at that moment that you do, in some ways it's no longer yours anyway. And there's a killing in that. There's a death in that. And there's certainly a death in how people choose to receive your work because you can't control that. But that's also what then makes it come alive. She said... The zinnias would be fuller and healthier if I would cut all their heads off. And I didn't trust it. I didn't trust the renewal 
but I think I will next time because I'm finding that this is a crucial part of my learning right now. And it's interesting, gardening and plant work is such a good metaphor for this. So many gorgeous lessons in Mother Nature cycles for us. And maybe that's it. The core of this is trust. Trust that when you lop off the heads of the things that you can see and the things that you love, there will be even more riches to follow but it will take a little time and a lot of trust. And then, and then there is this really interesting and wildly present idea that for many of us, especially the creative souls who had already taken great risks with career and scraping together finances, etc. Our blooms and our darlings were cut off for us without our consent during the pandemic. So, trusted or not, we had to find a plan B. And some unexpected luckies came out of that killing. So much creative wealth came out of those killings. As I've told you before, and I don't believe, um, I don't believe I would have ever started this podcast had it not been for the death of teaching yoga in person. But I I needed a place for my stories. And then this became the new bloom. But I would have never known that or fostered that had the other not died. So sometimes you're not the killer. And maybe you couldn't do it or didn't have a weapon or didn't even know something needed to be killed off and renewed. A while back, my friend Leslie, um, I gave her some chapters to read of my then book, which is now turned into something else. But it was a collection of stories similar to some of these podcast episodes. And this was a couple years ago. And, And Leslie is my favorite editor because she knows me and loves me and She knows good writing, and she is discerning and likes clarity. So she's compassionate, but she kind of um, shows no mercy (laughs) in some way. And she got her red pen, and she proceeded to cross out and completely eliminate my absolute favorite parts of what I had written, all of them, all my favorites, And the graveyard of what was left after she crossed out my writing, to me, at first, felt boring and mundane. But I chose to believe her, and I kept working with it. And at a certain point, I understood. I was able to step back and see that these darlings, these places, were muddy, and that they were writing-wise not very clear at all. They were over-metaphored and over-descriptive. Because I'd worked with them so much, I never questioned their presence. They had become too much a part of me. And they didn't even really make sense when you read them, but they made sense emotionally to me. But they were pulling the life force out of the stories Because just because something is really special to you doesn't make it valuable artistically. I know that Christy had to break her own heart a million times in making her film. 
because of how she fell in love with the stories of those young people that she spent so much time with. But she had to find that pole that held strong in the center, just like Clay did for all of us in those pews that day. So what does this mean for us moving forward? I think it means that we, we trust the killing, whether it is from our own bravery or whether we can't muster doing it, but some outside force came along and did it for us. That quote I love so dearly, Barnes burnt down, now I can see the moon by the Japanese poet Mizuda Masahide. Sometimes we didn't even know there was a moon behind the barn, and we couldn't know until it was gone. And sometimes things or even identities, like the way that we see ourselves, takes up so much space that there's no room for any other way. The darling you need to kill sometimes is not part of your painting or your chapter, but instead it's a way that you are clinging to your own identity that may not be making enough room for a new part of you to emerge. That could change the world. It can change the world, that kind of killing. Because there might be a whole new life right underneath your surface. I heard somewhere recently that if you live by the sea, if you live right near the sea, that it's impossible to be stagnant. It's impossible to be stuck creatively. And I, I wonder, I think maybe that's why so many people go to the sea to write or go to the sea to create, to get away, to have like an artist retreat. And I've been thinking a lot about that this week as I put this, this podcast episode together. And, um, yeah, I just want to, I want to offer that as, as a potential medicine for this idea of killing your darlings, of going somewhere different, of going to a place that feels more transient, that feels more, that, that has like a rinsing property, which the sea always does. And sometimes even just getting out of our home and getting um, a new lens into something like renting an Airbnb somewhere where we've never been can give us that opportunity to move move the creative blood. So uh, just a thought. I want to leave you with something today that I wrote. It's sort of like a poem. It's just a little reflection of killing off these darlings. And um, I just want to end on this. Dear darlings, meaning the things I have loved the most. Faulkner said to kill you, but I couldn't do it. The metaphors, the panic, and the old unstylish lamp, all of you. Someone last week told me to cut off the pink flower tops and they would grow back better and more lush. I didn't. And now they look dry and neglected, like I never trusted them in the first place. Just when I think we have learned enough for the time being, and I want to tip the chair legs back and exhale, something cracks from the weight of it all and leans me forward from two legs to four 
and my jaw slammed shut with a sudden jolt. This is the latest learning for me, the reluctant killing off of you, beloveds. You have become such a part of me that you have gotten in the way, so there's no chance for a heroine. When I was in a play a long time ago, my only line contained the word heroin, but I mispronounced it the entire nine weeks of rehearsals, and no one corrected me. By the time the play was on stage, I couldn't change it, because the line had become too much a part of me, and I couldn't imagine an alternative. Nothing has ever been more relevant today than what I need to cut away in order to let the story survive. I am going to start with the lamp and then move to the metaphors and leave the panic for last. Thanks everybody so much today for listening to Things That Will Help podcast. Um, I want to tell you two, two little things that are totally unrelated to this topic, but things that um, I've really started to love and definitely things that will help. And the first one's really super duper practical um, and takes out stains of all kinds. It's three ingredients Hydrogen peroxide, I don't know how much, so just pour some. Blue, the uh, the bright blue Dawn soap and baking soda. And you mix it together to make kind of a paste. And anything that has a stain on it, whether it's carpet or clothes or whatever, it takes it out really quickly. And it's my favorite new thing. Um, the second things that will help little smidge of something I want to tell you about is a book and Marla, who is, uh, one of our listeners and patrons, she, um, mailed me this book and I've just begun and it's called motherhood and it's by Lisa Marciano and it's so good and I I'm reluctant to recommend a book that I just started but I can tell you that this one is so good and I'm like not even through chapter one it's kind of like women who run with the wolves but for motherhood and so um, there's probably going to be some riches coming from that in future episodes once I get further along in it I also want to give special thanks today for Todd Anthony and Pinwheel, who are helping me clarify the vision for things that will help podcast and getting this, um, these stories into more ears, into more listeners. So thank you. Uh, if you would like to become a patron of this podcast, you can check out the show notes and all the information is there, as well as the link to all of Matt's playlists to coincide with each episode, which are super fun, especially lately. They're all really good. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thanks again. <laughs>